The band Exile formed in 1963, and 60 years later, they are still entertaining audiences with their hit songs. Now, their most successful hit, Kiss You All Over, spent four weeks at the top of Billboard's pop chart in 1978, and the hit song was also used in the Adam Sadler movie, Happy Gilmore, and in the film, Employee of the Month. Then, in the early 1980s, Exile started to focus on country music. Now, during their run on the country charts, they had 10 number one singles, including I Don't Want to Be a Memory and Give Me One More Chance. The original five Exile members reformed in 2008 and continue to tour today. They have three gold albums, eight million records sold, and were inducted into the Kentucky Hall of Fame in 2013, and Exile is believed to be the longest-running American self-contained band. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome original Exile member Sonny LaMare to the show. Welcome, Sonny. Thank you so much, Ward. Glad to be with you today. Well, I tell you what, I mean, the band is celebrating 60 years as one of the longest running bands in the history of modern music. How did you guys yeah. do it? I don't know. Without killing one another, it's a good question. <laughs> How did we do it? Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain how it happened, except that we, um, you know, really care. I mean, the longevity requires you really care about one another. And it is a family without a doubt, you know. Um, and we, you know, stayed, we love the music that we have created um, and our friendships. And it's somehow through thick and thin, through a lot of trials and tribulations, like every long-term relationship, we've been managed, you know, we've managed to keep it together. You know, we've had some falling outs and everything else, but we uh, ultimately, the bond was too strong to not stay together. Well, you know, it's now you're also celebrating the 45th anniversary of Kiss You All Over, which hit number one in 1978. I still remember when it hit number one. Uh, yeah. Are you surprised by the longevity, by the longevity this song has had over the years? Absolutely. You know, I mean, the, the kind of the the saying that three minutes can change your life is an understatement, really. Um, that song, we couldn't have predicted, obviously, when it even achieved number one status in 78, that all these years later, it would still be in rotation and played on oldies radio. And, and you know, people just, it's one of those things where, um, it's an absolute must, of course, that we play the song in our concerts, which of course we do. Um, it, it's just an amazing song. Thank God for it. And uh, I'll forever be grateful, you know, for the song. Well, how did the song come to the band? It was written by our then producer, Mike Chapman, who is an Australian, but he had moved to England. And he hooked up with a guy named Nikki Chin. Uh, they were a songwriting partnership, Mike Chapman, Nikki Chin. And they started writing and having hits with artists in the UK and, and Europe, actually. Uh, a lot of success. And they decided, you know, they wanted to crack the American market. Uh, they moved to Los Angeles in, I think, 76. And... Uh, by early 
77 or mid 77 whatever you know as we were starting to work with mike um they wrote this song and brought it to us on a cassette and it was you know for the time it was really <laughs> kind of a, a breathtaking song i mean you know we were writing our own music at that time too but nothing like that so um you know thank god we recorded it uh and mike knew exactly what he wanted on the on the track um we got the recording done and of course you know the rest is history you know it was released to radio and then bam it just exploded well you know a lot of people don't realize today uh there's if people really broke down pop songs that are on the radio yeah. today there's not a whole lot of pop songs but back nope. in the 70s the competition was so fierce there were yeah. so many people on the radio so you would you would rarely ever hear a repeat of a song i mean you know if the dj yeah. comes on and says hey uh coming up next is exiles kiss you all over you may have to wait an hour before you actually heard that song yeah absolutely yeah uh, you know Go, Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you're, the sound, you know, when I when I listened to that song, and like I said, I remember that song the day it came out. Yeah. But the sound of that particular song reminds me of that, uh, I don't want to call it a moody sound. Um, it's a heavier sound, but it reminds yeah. me of the, the Atlanta rhythm section. Kind of, yeah. And we were friends with those guys, too, and loved their music, actually, also. Um, it... it, it you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little tidbit about it. After the song was recorded, now this is before it got to radio. It hadn't been released yet. You know, we were playing in clubs in and around Lexington, Kentucky, which is where we used to live. Uh, and the audiences were used to us playing our original music. So they were used to kind of a certain R&B, pop rock kind of a sound. We would play that song in our shows. And there was the absolute silence, crickets. I mean, you know, it was unnerving to the point, you know, before it was released, we were, we were questioning, you know, whether this song should actually be released to radio because, you know, the audiences weren't reacting to it at all, at all. And once it hit radio, once it hit the airwaves, you know, everything changed, of course. Uh, so you never know. You just never know. That that is really strange because I guess it would strike fear into the oh, into the band members that if the audience is not responding to a song, you're like, nah, we're not gonna put this on the album. But yeah, then look I mean, what happened. I mean, that is the that's a strange twist of fate. Oh, it really is. It really is. You know. And here's another interesting thing because you're you're broadcasting from Houston area. The song, you know, in those days. Uh, when you started getting big uh, stations playing the song, there was usually some region that a song would break out. The song actually broke in Houston. <laughs> big station. And that's when it's really started to gain momentum uh, and, and, you know, get this, get all these other stations lined up to go all the way up to number one. But it broke yeah. in Houston. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, back in the day uh, yeah. here, it could have been... KRBE radio could have been KLOL, which was more of a heavier rock station. But both of those, I mean, it was yeah. rock from, I mean, 24 hours a day. But 
Yeah. You know, to me, the greatest songs when it came to pop and rock were, were the 70s. Yeah. Amazing and, tunes. you know, in some of those bands today, I mean, they're still around. I mean, look at the Rolling oh, yeah. Stones. <laughs> Amazing. You know, their new project out there, they're going strong. Um, I, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, I don't want to, obviously, I'm not comparing us to the Stones in any way, shape or form, except for our longevity. But one of the things that I think we do have in common is this desire to, yes, Everybody's grateful for the hits, you know, the songs that were hit songs. Everybody's grateful for that, thank God. But as an artist, you have to keep moving forward and you need new music. You just have to keep doing that. So, you know, uh, this year, of course, we've released uh, our, our brand new project called A Million Miles Later. And, you know, we started writing this album uh, about a year and a half, almost two years ago when we started contemplating, you know, what are we going to do for our 60th anniversary? So we thought, well, let's write new music, which is what we did. And we wrote it, recorded it, you know, it took time and it's out called a million miles later. There are 16 tracks on the, on the compilation and we're just thrilled, you know, absolutely thrilled with uh, the songs and the way it has come about. Well, I, I've listened to the whole album. I yeah. love the album. And it was funny because um, after about the second or third time I was listening, it finally hit me. You guys sound as young as you did 60 years ago. I mean, is there an anti-aging secret you'd like to share? Because your voices still sound fantastic. Well, we're lucky. I mean, honestly, we're really lucky that that's the case because, um, I mean, we've had to lower keys in some instances, you know, for songs. But uh, I think you know, uh, that our vocals still sound really fresh, really new. Uh, and, you know, it's just, we're, we're blessed with that fact, really. Well, you know, it's funny because as I was listening to all of the songs, yeah, I was like, if you took that album and let's just say you had somebody who had no, no clue of the history of Exile and yeah. had them sit down and listen to the songs, not one person would ever guess that you'd been together for 60 years. Well, I think that's good, huh? <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's amazing how, like you said, you just keep moving forward. And yeah. the album, all of the songs are very today. They're very fresh. But how did Exile make the decision to go from a, a pop rock band and go into country music? Why was that? Well, after Kiss You All Over, which was 1978, and, you know, it continued in, through 79, early 79 and everything, we continued to record in L.A. pop albums. We did uh, three more pop albums in L.A. and released singles to, you know, unfortunately, they just were not uh, able to, to happen in the U.S. market. But we were having success in Europe you know, the UK and Europe. So we were touring over there also with hits over there, but just not in America. So after the third album, um, our manager, uh, we, oh, here's the other thing. We were writing songs on these pop albums that were not hits for us. For example, in 1980, 
uh, on an album called Don't Leave Me This Way, we had written and recorded two songs called Take Me Down and The Closer You Get. Now, you may know those songs as hits for Alabama, which they were. Well, they were released to pop radio for us and didn't do anything. I mean, nothing. That's just one example. The follow-up album had a song which, again, Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin wrote for us. Uh, that we released to radio called Heart and Soul. I mean, I mean, it was a monster song the way we recorded it. Well, Huey Lewis, a couple of years later, recorded it and had a huge pop hit with it. So anyway, our manager in L.A. Uh, came to Lexington. He said, I want to talk to you guys. I've got a plan. I said, OK. So he flies in and we all meet and he lays out this plan. You know, he says, you guys are writing and recording uh songs that country artists are having hits with and it wasn't just take me down and the closer you get there were a bunch of other artists that were recording exile songs now they weren't as they didn't go to number one like those two did but they were you know they were on the charts and he said these other artists are recording your songs in country music why can't you have the same amount of success in country music they're your songs so you know i thought he was crazy you know i i really did I thought this is insane. And the more he talked, it was like a two day meeting about all this. I, you know, the other guys saw the light immediately and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it took me a little bit, but I finally said, okay, let's give it a shot. So he, uh, at that time was also managing Dolly Parton. And, uh, one of the great friends of Dolly was uh, our soon-to-be producer, a guy named Buddy Killen here in Nashville. And he asked Buddy, he said, do you remember this band Exile? And he goes, yeah, I do. He said, they want to start, you know, they want to try to get a career in country music. Would you be interested in producing them? And he jumped on it. He said, absolutely. So based upon that, you know, we would go to Nashville. We, would, we were still writing a lot of songs um and go to nashville and showcase at buddy's club in those days he had this uh this restaurant you know um uh, and we would go there and showcase and finally we got a deal on epic records and the rest is history you know we started having success you know which was an amazing thing to do that's how it happened well you know it's funny because when you take the 1970s, but, yeah. but you can split the 70s. I mean, you can split from, you can go from 1970 to about, upwards uh, about 75. Then yeah. when 1976 hits, that's when you had the Eagles Hotel California. You had Stevie Wonder, Sir Duke. So you had all of these, you had this slight change in the sound of the 70s. Yeah. And then from 76 yeah. to 79, you had this, explosive number of rock bands. Yeah. But then when 80, 81 hit, then the pop scene really, I don't want to make this sound negative, but it's just the truth. 80, 81 is when pop really started sounding a little bit more bubblegum because you had Andy Gibb come in around 81. And then yeah. really the rock band that probably got a lot of airplay, I think it was 81 was Ario Speedwagons with Keep On Loving You. Yeah. So I can see where Exile taking the chance to go country because really the pop scene was changing and it was changing fast. 
Yeah, it was. It was. You know, I mean, again, fortunately, it was just the timing was right for us. Um, it was a gamble. It was a big gamble, you know, and all the time that when we lost our uh, pop deal in 82, you know, we came back to Lexington and we went to work in a little bowling alley bar in Lexington. And, you know, it, it may be seated 150 people, 160 people, maybe. And it was a real humbling experience, you know, but we kept our nose to the grindstone. We, we, we had that, that goal, that brass ring out there that we were going for. And, you know, we weren't going to let anything deter us. So while some acts may have just been disgruntled and upset and, you know, whatever, and just folded the tent, said, that's it, we're done. We went, no, no, we've got more, we've got more to, to do. Well, what, we was it li- well what was it like it- to have hit songs in country music? Pardon me? What was it like having hit songs in country music? Well, it was validation. You know, and it, it was amazing. I mean, having a hit in any genre is, is just an amazing experience, you know, because when you think of the odds of anybody writing or recording or having a hit on, you know, it's the, the odd. You know how many artists are out there that try it, you know, every day, every week, every year. And it's even talented people. And it's not they're not going to succeed. It's not going to happen. So well, when it happened for twice, you know, it was like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. Well, back in the early years, I mean, Exile, you know, as a pop rock band, you toured yeah. with Aerosmith, Fleetwood <laughs> Mac. Um, Art. How was that compared? I mean, if you were with you, most likely you were what, opening for those acts? Yeah, we were. Okay. When it came into the, when, when you got into country music, because you had prior success, were y'all immediately headlining or were you back to opening up for people like Kenny Rogers, the Oak Ridge boys or the Judds. All of that above. Well, interestingly enough, mostly we were opening. Interestingly with the Judds, we started a tour where we were the headliner. And of course they, uh, was it mommy? He's crazy. What was the first, uh, I can't remember their first single, but when they hit, you know, of course they exploded. So it reversed, you know, we were opening up for them, but yeah, we were opening act and, you know, it wasn't that much different from pop music, really, you know, I'm, you know, no. Uh, well, you know, you bring up a good point because if you really break down it, let's just use the Judds as an example. If you really yeah. break down that sound, it's not that far off from pop. And even a lot of a lot of the country artists, country bands today, they're riding that fine line between pop and country. Oh, absolutely are. I mean, you know, I mean, country to quote country today versus even when we started is shockingly different. You know, I mean, it's just you know. Well, a lot let, of- well, okay. So, all right. So, Exile becomes country in the early '80s, and boy, yeah. country music in the 1980s. Oh my gosh. You know, we yeah. thought that was huge and all the way into the 1990s. I mean, in the 80s, um, what was it? Uh, I mean, Randy Travis, yeah. Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson. 
and um, I mean, but Alabama, you know, through the eighties, I mean, just, you know, they were, they were the hottest thing in music period. So that's how hot country music became, you know, in the eighties. I think Alabama would, I think Alabama is probably what the biggest selling country band of all time. Might be, might be. You know, but that is so, that's so funny that two of their songs actually originated from exile. Absolutely did. Absolutely. But isn't it it funny how the difference between producers and then particular uh, lead vocals can just change a song and just turn it into a hit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I encourage you and the audience to go, you know, you can go on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever your streaming platform is, and you'll hear if you type in exile and you type in take me down or the closer you get you can hear our renditions our versions of those and you know they're slightly different i mean due to you know the recording techniques but they're not crazy different and then if you really want to challenge yourself go check out exile's version of heart and soul it'll blow your mind now did y'all write that song no mike chapman and nikki chin wrote that song um when it was a hit for Huey Lewis, again, we were playing in a club in Lexington, you know, still working on our country thing. And um, somebody came in and said, hey, you guys have re-released Heart and Soul. I went, what? So we, we were at a, a rehearsal. I'm driving home and it comes on the radio. I literally pulled over because I couldn't tell the difference. At first, I, I thought, this is this us it's us and um, there were subtle differences but when huey sang his opening line he sang uh two o'clock this morning our the original version is four o'clock this morning and uh that's when i knew what oh wait a minute because it is so spot on with our version i mean the cowbell everything that they used in fact at an award show in golly sometime early 80s we're backstage and Huey Lewis is back there he said hey exile and we're talking to him he says man I don't know why it wasn't hit for you he says we recorded it just like you did and I guess it was kind of a compliment but still well yeah it really I mean that you know I find you know when when some you know a lot of people you know when they hear what to them is a hit song and I'm talking the audience the the, the yeah. fans they hear a song yeah. on the radio and they're like wow, this is great, but they never, most people never realize the history of an actual song. You know, sure. when Ronnie Millsap came out with Any Day Now, people thought, wow, man, that's like, and it was, I mean, he blew up country radio with that song, but a lot of a lot of people who weren't in the music history didn't realize that Burke Backrack wrote that song. Yeah. Elvis sang that song. I think, um, Tom Jones did a version of that song. Yeah. Paul Carrick did a version, a modern day version of the song and literally turned that song into a ballad. And, yeah. and of course, Ronnie does it as a country song. And well, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just most people think, you know, that when they hear a song on the radio by an artist, that the artist wrote the song. And a lot of times that's true, but not always. 
and uh, you know, in our case, besides writing songs or recording, you know, something like Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin wrote for us, those couple of songs. One of the things that that we were adamant about was right or wrong was playing on our own recordings. Because when we grew up, you know, coming out of the 60s, for example, you know, when you had the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, you know, all those bands, the identifying sound was not just their vocals or the way they wrote a song, but the way they played on their songs. I mean, that was an identifying thing right off the bat. And we always felt that that was what would make us different besides our vocal sound would be the we the way we all played, you know, in, in the studio. And, you know, we're not we're not studio musicians. I mean, we, we play our own stuff, uh, but that's a, a real identifier, you know, because it's going to be unique. Well, it is. Well, let me ask you this, because you have 60 years of experience. How has yeah. the recording of an album changed? Oh, and you know, quite a bit. You know, from from two inch tape, you know, twenty four tracks, to now digital recording. You know, where you have multiple tracks. Um, for example, you know, back in the day with our pop albums and all our country albums up to you know up until recently, of course, you know, we were always in the studio together recording. Now due to technology you know two of our members jp and les still live in lexington the rest of us marlon and steve and i live in nashville you know we have done the recording a, a lot different now you know we'll go in the studio in up in kentucky and jp will lay down just a guide track you know it'll it'll have a tempo uh of the song then he'll put his uh, you know electric guitar down and then I'll drive up there and then the three of us will sing lead vocals, do all the harmony up there. So we'll have a guitar track, you know, uh, the tempo and lead vocals. Then we bring it down here and Steve and Marlon and I will go in and lay bass drums and keyboards. So we're never in the studio anymore, you know, at the same time. And it doesn't matter. You know, the re it's, it's all about the result. And, I, you know, it, it's more efficient this way. Um, and here's one other thing. Sometime in the in the mid '90s or whatever, even early 2000s, I was writing with a, a young, up and you know wannabe artist in Nashville. This this guy unfortunately didn't succeed, but he had a publishing deal. He had a record deal, and we're writing. So he's asking me about you know, hey, recording when you guys used to record, you know, you said yeah, we recorded on tape. Wow, you record? Yeah, we did. He said, well. How did the producer, you know, how did you auto, how did you tune your vocals? And I said, well, the producer would hit the talk back button and say, sing it again. That's how we tuned our vocals. You know, you sang it till you got it right. So, you know, but modern is, is a, is a blessing and sometimes a curse, but you know, we yeah, use it all. Yeah, I would, I would take the original voice. I mean, it's like, it's like filming a movie. Uh, yeah. No, do that scene again. And yeah. I think making music should be, no, sing that again, but with more feeling, so that, you know, sell it to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can use auto, you can use tuning, but 
you have to have the performance, you know, to have the performance, the feeling in it. You can slightly tune a thing here or there. That's fine. I mean, that's just what modern music is. That's what people are used to hearing, for example. Even talking about the Stones, Mick Jagger's voice is, is tuned on those tracks. But that's his voice. You know, that's him singing with emotion. Uh, you know, as opposed to just, you know, letting somebody sing something and you do all the work in the studio, which you can do. Well, but we don't do it. Some of know. the one of the most unusual uh, recording was the Beatles. Uh, yeah. Gosh, a few years back, there was a there's this amazing documentary on just how they recorded in the studio where yeah. George Martin would literally, let's say John Lennon is singing a song, but he slows down his voice track, which means yeah. how are you going to pull that off live? Oh, yeah. I, well, of course they couldn't. I mean, and that's why I stopped touring. I mean, one of the reasons is because they got so advanced in, in using techniques and things that they couldn't reproduce that live. You can now. Yeah. You know, but you couldn't then. You know, and they and they started double tracking a voice, which means in the studio, when you're doing a vocal, uh, you would sing it twice. And it, it's, you know, it's called stacking your vocal, you know, double tracking it. And he and Lennon got lazy, said he didn't want to do that anymore. So he had one of the engineers figure out how to electronically double track a vocal, which was revolutionary. And, you know, we use that with plugins now. That's easily done. But back then, you know, they were revolutionary with the techniques that they came up with, with the well, engineers see, came up. Well, see, that's what I loved. You, you know, it's kind of like... Uh sound studio in california every uh, iconic band walks through that place and to hear yeah. the stories on how songs were created on yeah. tape um, yeah. um and even how mistakes in songs became iconic sure you know again we sang it till we got it as right as we could sing it but you know there are certain little mistakes here or there but because of tape hiss uh, because of a record, the way the record sounds on a, a 45 or an album, you're not, especially with the Beatles, you know, now with digital, you can hear all the little, you know, subtle uh, mistakes or whatever that happened. Back then, you couldn't. You know. Well, no, not at all. Well, let me ask you this, because you had the monster hit, Kiss You All Over, in 1978, which we'd already talked about, but yeah, that was a, I mean, put you on the map forever. But you... But Exile had 10 number one hit singles in country. How did that compare? Oh, it, it you know, again, it was validation that not just in, in pop music, but, you know, we our career could go on and we were able to do it with our own songs. And it, it was such an amazing period for us, an amazing time. Uh, I, I'm more grateful now for that success because you know when you're in the eye of the storm when you're when you're writing all the time you're touring all the time you know you're coming home and instead of days off you're writing songs jp and i were writing all the time you know we didn't have any time off hardly and then you're going back out you're in the studio recording the next project you're out touring it was the cycle of stuff and now looking back on it you know i'm so grateful and i'm so thankful for what 
you know, we were able to achieve, you know, it's, it was a blessing, you know, but we worked hard at it. We worked really hard to achieve what we achieved. Well, when you, when you moved into country music, um, what, how was the audience differences between the U S and Europe? Um, some of the audiences are a little bit more reserved, you know, some of them, um, in America, you know, in the States, of course, it just blew up. You know, when they love you, they love you and they're going to show you. You know, interestingly enough, we just played in Canada this past weekend. We were up in Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, by the way, which is beautiful. The Canadian audiences and we and by the way, I, I, I mean this with all due respect and love because we love going up there. We love Canadian audiences there. They are a little bit more reserved. Uh, very appreciative, very, very appreciative, but slightly more reserved than American audiences. Now, at the end of the show, they were you know, on their feet and uh, clapping and, and you know, uh, having a great time, you know, but, the, but audiences do vary slightly from country to country. They do. You know, American audiences, I mean, they're, if they're into it, they're with you, man. It's, it's great. Well, yeah, it is. Now, let me ask you this, because in 2008, Exile debuted on the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, what was that like, and how many appearances have you made since then? Since then, I'm not totally sure. It's, it's well above 108 or 10 appearances on the Opry. Uh, that is always something that we look forward to. Uh, it's an honor. You know, I say this, I wish we were members. You know, uh, I so, do. Why are you not members yet? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, regardless of the fact, whether it happens or it doesn't, they treat us with, I mean, they, they're just great to us when we appear. Um, but I should tell you that the first time we appeared on the Opry was actually I think in 84, it was right after our first country number one song, Woke Up In Love, and we were asked to appear on the Opry. And this, this is called, we call it affectionately, the Opry train wreck. Yeah. So we're asked to appear on the Opry. Woke Up In Love had turned number one and we had released our next song which was, I don't want to be a memory, which would go on to be the second number one. But anyway, uh, it had just been released. So we go to the Opry. And of course, the first time on Opry, we've got our manager, our record producer, our agents from William Morris, publicists, you know, some family well-wishers. And everybody's crammed into one of the dressing rooms backstage. And, you know, it was just, it was, we were over the top with excitement. So there were two segments that we were going to perform on. The fir first segment, Jim Ed Norman, uh, God bless him. He was great. He gives us this glowing introduction, you know, this new hot band, the newest it band in country music with their first number one song. We go out and we play Woke Up In Love, followed by I Don't Want To Be A Memory. And the audience is ecstatic. It was great. It was just great. We come off the stage in our dressing room, you know, high five and everybody's excited. What a great, that's great, that's great. Well, unbeknownst to us, our drummer, Steve, 
was not feeling well. And with all the excitement and chatter and everything going on backstage, he left and he actually went out into the Opry itself, into the up in the upper deck it was just quiet before the next audience came in. And he said he just wanted to get away from everything, just calm himself down. He wasn't feeling well. So nobody notices that Steve's gone. And in our, inf in our infinite wisdom, we decided to change the order of the songs. Woke up, instead of doing Woke Up in Love, we're gonna start with I Don't Wanna Be a Memory. And nobody knows that Steve is not on board with this. And the reason it's such a big deal, of course, is I Don't Wanna Be a Memory is what we call a straight 4-4 four, four beat. You know, it's just, I don't wanna be a memory versus Woke up in love with you, which is a shuffle. So Jim Ed Norman gives us this great introduction again. And we're waiting for Steve to count off. We're waiting to hear a one, two, three, four, you know, straight count. Instead, he goes, a one, two, three, you know, he gives off the count for woke up in love, which in real time, you know, this is happening right then and there. We're playing this 4-4 four, four beat against Steve playing a shuffle. And, you know, we can't figure out what has happened and why he's doing this. And he is trying to figure it out, too, in real time. So he's, he's under his breath. I mean, he's yelling at me. What are we doing? What are we doing? I'm trying to tell him we're playing. I don't want to be a memory. He keeps playing the shuffle. So I altered my bass part to, I don't want to be a memory to fit with it. I mean, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. What did it sound awful? Oh, terrible, terrible. So in, at one point in time, literally, he switches to, I don't want to be a memory. The rest of us switch to woke up in love. And it goes on, it goes on. And I'm looking out at the audience and, and JP's wife was in the audience at that time, our lead guitar player's wife. And she has this, this look on her face like, what in God's name are you all doing? And finally, I think JP said, because we were, we were playing, I don't want to be a memory. He said to Steve, I don't want to be a memory. And Steve launches into it. We finally finished that song. And then we play Woke Up In Love. Now, mind you, we're trying to keep ourselves together and, and smile all the while the rest of us are wanting to kill Steve. We think, I mean, he's lost his mind. He's wanting, you know, he's mad. We finish, we woke, we walk off stage into the dressing room, we close the door and buddy, we had it out. You know, like uh, <laughs> there was a lot said. And finally we figured out, you know, what had happened? He said, well, who, nobody told me. What, you know, why did we change the songs? And then he explained what he had done. And it became, it became this laughing thing where, you know, it goes, oh my God, you know? So that was 1984. Even in our heyday of country music, we were never asked back. And it took 2008 to come back together before they asked us to appear on the Opry. And now, of course, like I say, we jokingly, when we appear on the Opry, we look to see, you know what we're playing? <laughs> you know, just and everybody's on board. We never had that experience again, thank God. But somebody, a friend of mine, actually got a cassette of that appearance, that doing that.
it was as awful as you think it was. Well, did anybody it, ever tell the Opry what happened? No. I mean, they, they, I, we've told some people now and it's just a joke. They, everybody laughs about it, you know, now, but, um, it lasted almost 30 seconds. It went, I mean, it seemed like forever, you know, and I, I just wanted to crawl under anything, you know, and you, you can't get away. There you are. But it just goes to show you when you're playing live, man, anything can happen and sometimes does. Well, that's kind of, well, let's say, let's say someone's, let's say you're on tour. You know, yeah. most bands change up the song list every night. I <laughs> yeah. mean, oh, that, do you do you guys do that? Not every night. No. But what sometimes we'll change an order here or there. And, oh yeah. Yeah. I've made, cause I'm the main spokesperson, you know, on stage. Yeah, of course I've done it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looking at me like, Hey, 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 check your song list, you know, or, you know, JP, a, a song or two, he'll play with a capo. If people know what that is on a guitar, you know, yeah, oh yeah. and he'll put it, put it in the wrong spot. Not often, but it's happened a couple of times. Oh, my. <laughs> well, like, oh, my God. You know, I can't even. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, being on the Opry and then oh. it's just going to be a train wreck. But I guess you did the second song. OK. We did the second song okay. You know, we smiled through it, you know, through gritted teeth uh, until we got on stage. And again, you know, I can't tell you why they didn't ask us back, but they didn't. And, um, you know, it took till 2008. Well, I can can say this. Now, Grand Ole Opry, if you're listening or watching, you know, after a... 113 appearances. I think Exile should be members of the Grand Ole Opry. So uh, I think they've redeemed themselves since 1984. Well, Sonny, I mean, after 60 years, what would Exile like to accomplish next? You know, um, just to keep moving forward. You know, we, we look, we've got this new album, A Million Miles Later, that we're just thrilled to death with. You know, we've got our new single, Rough Around the Edges, which is actually doing well. You know, it's climbing the charts, which after all these years to have a song on the charts is amazing. Uh, it's actually done really well in the UK and Europe. I mean, it's gone on number one on some of the lists over there. Uh, and so there's talk about us doing going back to Europe next year, which we haven't been in years, which is I can't wait if that happens. That's going to be exciting. Um, we um, have a collaboration that I'll tell you about a little bit. We were on a country, uh, excuse me, a pop cruise earlier this year in March. Uh, it was called the Rock and Romance Cruise. And we met this, this British band from Manchester, England called the Climax Blues Band. And so you or some of your audience might remember these guys. They had a couple of huge hits in the 70s also. I mean, and on the cruise, you know, we would alternate shows with them and they're phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal players, really. So they contacted us after we got home uh, about two and a half months ago and said, hey, we've got this new song that we wrote. We'd love for you to put your back vocals on our song. So we did. And uh, it's called Facing My Fear. And I'm not sure when it's going to be released in the UK and Europe, 
but we were going to be on a song, a pop song in, uh, over there with the Climax Blues Band, which is terribly exciting. I mean, that's wow. That's I didn't cool. even know they were still together. Yeah, they are, man. And I'll tell you what, they are phenomenal. Now, they've gone through some changes, you know, with members. Uh, but God, man, their lead singer, their players, they're really great, honestly. Yeah, they. I I used to listen to them all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I miss I miss all the bands back in the day during that yeah. era, because yeah. that that's when music was. I mean, it was as real as real as it could get. Sure enough, sure enough. And one other thing regarding our new project, this Million Miles Later project, is, you know, when we wrote started writing for this, we said whatever we whatever day it is whatever we come up with we just want to write it whatever it is you know we're not care we don't care if it's quote a country a pop whatever we're just going to write the song to the best of our ability so we wrote a song this one day called down in cold water which is a gospel song and we thought man this is hey let's put it on the project i mean who cares let's just do it so we thought, man, it would be really cool if we had some one of our friends in Christian Market record this with us. So we're friends with the Isaacs. And I don't know if you know who they are. Oh, yeah, I know who the Isaacs are. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they are phenomenal. So we called them, talked to them about it. They agreed. They put their vocals on this song. And I'm not sure when... Uh, sometime later this year or early next year, we're going to release that to the Christian market. Um, and it's just, it's a phenomenal song. You know, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's kind of may seem a little odd that this rock band turned country band having a gospel song, but you know, we, well, that's no, because back in the day, you know, all yeah. the country artists fit from the 1950s, probably up till about the seventies, a lot of times the last song on the album was a gospel song. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not that we're going to turn into a gospel act. I mean, we don't want to be disingenuous, but, you know, we all grew up in, in I mean, we grew up in church. We grew up singing in church. I mean, that's part of our background. I mean, it's genuine. And um, uh, so doing this song wasn't, I mean, from our perspective, wasn't out of the ordinary. You know, and I don't know what will happen in the future where we'll do more of that. Who knows? But See, I, I can't wait to hear it. Well, it's on the album. It's on A Million Miles Later uh, called Down in Cold Water. I, I'm telling you, I, their performance is exceptional. I'm going to have to yeah. I'm going to have to re-listen to that one again. But again, I, I love yeah. the new album. I yeah. love the new album. You know, it's got all kind of influences on it. And um, um that's just one of the things that's part of it. And we're, you know, again, really excited about it. Well, yeah. Well, you know, after 60 years yeah. together, is there any particular crazy road story you can share with us? A road story? A million uh, miles later. <laughs> well, you know, all the, you know, we've been more than a million miles, but hey, as a songwriter, it just sings better. Um, we've had all kind of wacky things happen on the road. I mean, you know, uh, from the bus breaking down, you know, everything happening. Um, we had an episode 
years ago, maybe in the, the late 80s. And we were coming back from somewhere in Alabama with our bus. And uh, our equipment truck was following us. This is late in the night. And we were in the kind of the hills, the, the, the uh, part of Alabama, in the northern part of Alabama, where you get in some hills and everything. And I'm in my bunk. It's probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when I heard this racket. I heard this thump, 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 you know. I didn't know what it was. What had happened was our, um, uh, I forget what it was, had something had come loose and had severed the hydraulic lines on the bus. So we had no brakes. Now, usually when that happens, there's a fail-safe system that's supposed to kick in, but it didn't. And we're going up a hill. And behind us was our equipment truck, and behind them was another bus filled with senior citizens coming back from some gambling thing. <laughs> and it was like this little convoy, right? So our driver is communicating, you know, the, uh, CB radio then with our equipment guy driver, the bus behind them, what had happened. And everybody was starting to get up off the bus, getting dressed. And the bus is slowing down and going uphill slow, 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 slow. And I get up. Um, one of our other guys, I think Steve, the drummer, we all get up and we're in, we're in underwear. We're not getting off the, you know, don't try to figure out what has happened. Most of the guys jump off as we slow down up the hill, literally jump off the bus. We got up to the top of the hill and just paused for a second. Now, before we crested the hill, the equipment truck had stopped on the interstate. The, the bus behind them had stopped. And we're going up the hill slowly and we stop just ever so, you know, just for a few seconds. And then, you know, the momentum and gravity take over. And here we go, start coming back down. And I hear our driver yelling at the equipment, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. Everybody starts backing up, everybody. And I'm, you know, I see us, the guys are off the bus dressed. Two of us are on the bus, you know, there we are. We're stuck for better or for worse. We start going down that hill. All of us, you know, he tries to go around the convoy. They all swerved in the same direction. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Finally, we passed them. I see us go past them. And our, dri our driver's nickname was Bear. I said, Bear, what's going on? He's, and he's looking in the rear view mirrors with no brakes. No, he's going, can't talk now, son. You can't. <laughs> we go all the way down that hill. Yeah. And I mean, and all the way down the hill. And fortunately, somehow there was not another vehicle coming. Ward, it was scary as can be. And finally, you know, we come all the way down that hill and did this kind of a thing. You know, you can imagine until we finally came to a stop. And he had, when we stopped, his fingers on the steering wheel was like something out of a cartoon. You know, had to pry his fingers off the steering wheel. But his driving skill saved us from going over the guardrails, crashing, <laughs> turning over. It was, that's that, the crazy. That is the scariest thing it really I've ever heard. It was terrifying. Had oh my been, gosh. <laughs> had we been going up out of Chattanooga, 
you know, up Mont Eagle, it had been tombstoned. It had been over. Oh yeah. Oh, now that that that's where you don't want that to happen. Mount Absolutely. Eagle. Oh no way. No way. Yeah. So that's wow. that's really kind of the scariest really thing that happened, you know, on the bus. But you know, everything from you know breaking down and there you are out in the middle of nowhere. Well, boys, <laughs> welcome. You know, you're living the dream now, aren't you? But it happens. Yeah, I'm sure the stories are a lot different between before the days of cell phones. Oh yeah. Oh I, oh. <laughs> yes, in a heartbeat, in a nutshell, absolutely. Oh yep. my goodness. Well, Sonny, my goodness gracious. I mean, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing the music of Exile, the history of the band, and the brand new album, A Million Miles Later. Man, I've had some fun. I hope you did too. Lord, thank you so much. I've had a blast, you know, and uh, uh, thanks for taking the time to sh let me share all this with you. Oh, man. I mean, in a way, it's like a bucket list for me because I grew up listening to, to Exile when the when Kiss You All Over hit. And ladies yeah. and gentlemen, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Sonny. No, I'm just saying I think, you know, we, we've been able to talk about some of the cool things. And by the way, uh, if folks want to follow us, which we hope they do, you know, our Instagram, our Facebook page is Exile Band Official. We've got Instagram which is just the opposite, which is Exile Official Band. We've got a TikTok page, which is also Exile Band Official. And just our website, which is exile.biz, B-I-Z. And, you know, it's got all the touring information and all kind of other stuff. They can check us out. Well, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, Sonny just did my job for me. So head over to exile.biz, check out all of their music, their tour yeah. dates, and you got to buy the brand new album a million miles later, and it'll make a great gift for someone this holiday season. So who knows that someone could be kissing you all over for that new album. Uh, yeah, man. So late. Yeah. So uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, head over to exile.biz, follow them across social media. Uh, yeah. And for many of you who are like me, who have been fans for years, the brand new album, A Million Miles Later. This is classic exile. And I and I will place the guarantee you will love every single song. And hey, there's 16 tracks. That's almost there like are. a double album back in the day. Yeah. Can I mention one more thing to you? Yes. Go ahead, Sonny. Because we're originally from the bluegrass state of Kentucky, K-E-T, Kentucky Educational Television and PBS are doing a documentary on exile on the 60 years of exile. And uh, we've already done a lot of the in-person interviews and November 4th coming up uh, in Renfro Valley, Kentucky at a beautiful theater there that I think actually is sold out. There may be a couple tickets left. We're going to film that concert as part of the documentary process. So that's exciting too, to have, you know, the history of exile kind of documented um, and there for all to see. Man, that is fantastic. I can't wait to actually see that documentary. And <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I know you can't wait either. And uh, again, hey, Grand Ole Opry, I think there needs to be a new member added. The band Exile, 60 years of great music, great success. Yeah. 
And again, Sonny, man, thank you for the pleasure and the honor for being on the show. And ladies and gentlemen, again, go to exile.biz and buy, I said buy, the brand new album a million miles later. Again, you're going to love every single song. And as for me, hey, I want to thank you for watching and listening, and I'll see you next time.